Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea. It's a little different on Wednesday nights than Sunday. Sunday's more evangelistic, but Wednesday nights we kind of slow it down and do some teaching and preaching. And uh, we're in the middle of a series right now called I Will Build My Church. And the whole reason behind this series is because I believe that there's all kind of reasons why people believe that they're building a church, why people believe that the church should be one way or another. And everybody can have ideas and opinions, but I believe the best way to build your church is to find what Jesus was passionate about. Find the passions of the Messiah. Find the passion of what he was most passionate about and build on top of that. Build on top of what he wants. So in week one, that was two weeks ago because we had revive night. But in week one, we talked about how Jesus was passionate about prayer and fasting, how he expects us to pray and fast and how he endorsed prayer and fasting and how the disciples prayed and fast once he was gone. And they made it a part of their lifestyle, not just a part of something we do corporately as a church, but they made it a part of who they were and they made it a part of their lifestyle. So we're excited that God has given us the ability to pray and fast and showed us the importance of it. But tonight I want to shift our focus for a minute. I want to shift our focus to what we're talking about in the second one. It's our second um, series, but it's actually Jesus's first passion. They're getting this thing kicked back on from the back so we can, I want you to have the scriptures on the screen that you can see it. Let's see. Can you run it from there, Sister Jenny? You can? All right, go ahead and put that first one up. There we go. I want y'all to have all the scriptures because Sometimes nobody brings their Bible to church, so uh, I got to bring the Bible for you, and that's what we're doing tonight. Let me see. Y'all just bear with me for one second. I want you to have everything you're supposed to have. Amen, amen. All right, so jumping into it tonight, there's one thing that I believe is the most passionate thing about Jesus. It's number two in our series, but I believe it's number one for Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is most passionate about people. I believe that Jesus' number one passion is people, that we can build church based off of programs. We can build them based off of events. We can build them based off of how we do things in the production side of the church. But Jesus has a passion for people. His whole thing was to come to reach people, to find the lost, to find those who are down and out and need help. And that's where we stand tonight. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, the Bible says, Jesus replied and he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon Bar-Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, which is in heaven. Why was that so important? Why was Jesus trying to show them in this scripture? He had asked them in the previous verse, he said, who do you say that I am? And he says, and they said, well, man thinks you're this and man thinks you're a prophet and man thinks you may be Elijah and man thinks you may be all this. But he said, I believe, I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe that you're the son of the living God. I believe that you are the Messiah, the one that has come to save the world. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He said, because man hadn't teach you this. No, no, no doctrine has showed you this. No theologian has wrote this for you. He said, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And it's not by flesh and blood. The word that's so key to that scripture is the word revealed because he says something has taken place on the inside of your heart and you see me for who I am. Jesus was trying to show him that without a revelation of who the Messiah is, you can't build a church. 
If you don't know who Jesus is and you don't see him for who he is and that he was 100% man and that he was 100% God at the same time, that he had a man and a flesh side that was carnal, that he took upon flesh. He was the word that was made flesh and he came down to the earth and he walked upon us. He had a ministry here. He felt the things we felt, but at the same time, he was divine in nature and he was 100% God. He was able to deliver. He was able to heal. He was able to set free. He was able to do these things. Go to the next one. Verse 18 turns around and says this. He said, upon that revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he was telling us, church, is that it's not that I have anything special. He said, you need a revelation in order for you to stand. You need to see me in order for you to stand. You need to see who I am. That's why it's not okay to know church. That's why it's not okay to be familiar with church, because if we build church based upon what we know about church, we're going to find ourselves knowing so much about church and nothing about Jesus. So I can come into church and I know when to stand. I know when the countdown stops. I know when to sit. I know when to clap. I know when they're going to take out the offering. So I got to get my wallet out. I know when it's time for the altar. I know all these things. He said, but that's knowing church. I want you to know me. I need you to have a revelation of who I am, that you can know me in the depths of your life and that you're not just playing church. You're not just going to church. You're not just going through the motions because going through the motions don't keep us whenever trials and tribulations come. But it's having a revelation of who he is that keeps me to stand that says, I know where my hope is. I know what has me anchored. I know what has me keeping me close to him. And it's because I've seen him for who he is. I've seen him for his. Go to the next one. It jumps over in, in John 3.16. I believe this is where we get the, the whole point of this message tonight about that God loves people. It says, for God so loved. He didn't just love. God so loved the world. He didn't love the trees. He didn't love the cars. He didn't love the houses. He didn't love the donkeys. He didn't love the grass. It wasn't about the water. It wasn't about the animals in the water. It said that he loved the world. He loved the people that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How do we know by the world he's talking about people? Because we're not saving animals. We're not saving trees and water. He said that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He said, God so loved people. God so loved people that he gave his only son. Church, he is passionate about people. He is passionate about you. He is passionate about your family. He is passionate about your kids. He's passionate about your coworkers. He's passionate about the one that you don't like. He's passionate about the one you can't agree with. He's passionate about people and he wants every one of them. Go to the next one. So why do we have core values in this church? We have built our system. We've built a core value around four things that I believe show us exactly what God wants us to do in church. Because something has to be relevant to people. The Bible tells us in Acts, he says, don't make it so difficult for the Gentiles. Don't make it so difficult for people who are coming to know Jesus. Don't put so many things in place that they are so confused in their mind of who he is and how to get to him. Make it simple. So we was watching this thing one time with Michael Waddell. And if y'all know that guy, he has these game calls. And um, his whole slogan was speak the language. And I was thinking, hmm, that's pretty cool. Speak the language. What he means by it is if he can get a deer call to sound just like a deer, and when you're blowing that you're speaking the language of a deer, you can get him to come. So I started thinking about it, and we adopted four core values that we have been taught. And I said, the reason we adopted them is because if we can speak the language in the church, then we can get on the level of people and show them how to come to Jesus. So the first core value in our church was to know Jesus. We do that by, we say every Sunday, every Sunday and every Wednesday night, whenever we have a service here, we based our whole service around people coming to know Jesus, that the worship is preparation and that we say that it's going to be inspiring and it's going to be prepared for, and there's going to be celebration in the church and there's going to be opportunities for salvation in the church. And all these things are going to happen because we have built our services that people can know Jesus. That's why we don't put a time clock on the back of the wall. That's why we don't limit God to certain numbers in the message. That's why we don't limit God to certain amount of songs. We can sing for an hour. We can sing for two. We can sing for 10 minutes. We cannot sing and preach at all. We cannot preach at all. We'll do whatever God wants to do because the service is designed that people would know Jesus, that people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Go to the next one. 
Where do you find that in the Bible? Because everybody's got to challenge you and say, well, where'd you come up with this stuff? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. In that scripture, every one of our core values is right here in the scripture. The very first thing, that you may know him better. He said, I'm praying to God that you know him better. Our church ought to be praying that every time we walk in the doors, that everybody in the seats of this church is drawing closer to God and knowing him better. That was the prayer. That was the prayer that you would know him better. Go to the next one. Knowing Jesus. He says, I pray this, though. The second value is something that I found so difficult to learn at first. He said, I I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, man, my eyes don't have heart. My my heart don't have eyes. I I didn't know that. And some of you are thinking that right now, too. What does that even mean? How does that make sense? What he's saying is, is that you've come to know Jesus. We're praying that you would come to know him better. But even though you've come to know him, there's things in your life that may have dealt with your past or may have dealt with things you've walked through in life, things you've been through. And there's things in your heart that are stopping you from fully seeing what God wants inside of you. That's why people get saved and they never seek, they never seek to be water baptized. That's why people get saved and they never seek sanctification. That's why people get saved and they never seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the eyes on their heart are not being enlightened. There's things in their past. There are things they've been taught. There's things that are hindering them from asking God, what more do you have for me? So the next one is find freedom. That's the core value. Number two, know Jesus, find freedom. How do we find freedom? Whenever we say that and you hear that in our church, it means small groups. Because here's the thing, although I'm saved and although I've been set free, it doesn't mean there's not hurting stuff in my past I don't need to deal with. And me preaching to you on Sunday and Wednesday, it'll get you to a place you need to be, but you might need to go a little deeper in your talk. You might need to say something back. See, right now you're listening to me, but you might have something to say during this message. You might have something you need to get off your chest. You might have something that's bothering you, something that's hindering you. And when you get in a group of people, the Bible says that we should confess our sins, confess our faults one to another, that we would pray for one another and we'd find healing. Now, many churches today will take that literally and say, you need to get on stage and you need to confess your sins before everybody. That's foolish. That's not even what he's talking about. He said that you would confess your sins to one another. Why? You can't save me. You can't forgive me for my sins. But although I've been forgiven already, Brother Chris, the fact of the matter might be this, that I've been forgiven, but things in my past are still in my heart, and maybe you dealt with it already. And if I start telling you about the things I dealt with, you can start telling me about how you handled it and how God delivered you, and you lay hands and you start praying for me, and you didn't heal me, but the Spirit of God moved in through you, and now I'm finding healing over the things I've dealt with because he said you need freedom, not only salvation. I don't need salvation just to walk around the world. I need salvation in every area of my life. I need to be saved, but I need to keep walking this thing out. Being saved and sitting on a seat is not enough. I need freedom in my life. I don't want to be saved and walking in the bondage of my past. I don't want to be saved and holding on to a grudge or holding on to something that somebody said or did to me and God's trying to bring me into my purpose that I can walk into my destiny, but I can't let let go of the grip of my past. He said, you need freedom. You've got to get in a group. You've got to get around people. We say that we do life together. Church, I'm going to tell you something. It's hard to serve God alone. You know why? Because you're outnumbered. There's more people in this world and in your workplace and in your community that they may know about God, but do they know God enough to serve him? See, grandma, I know about God because grandma told me. I know about prayer because I heard mama and daddy do it. I heard about these things. I have a, a no, I know about Jesus. When you ask people, do you know Jesus? Oh, I know Jesus. You do? Yeah. How you know him? Because I heard my daddy. Pray. No, no, no. You know about Jesus. When you know Jesus, everything you heard now becomes who you are. I don't just hear prayers. I now pray. So why do we want people to find freedom in life? Why do I want you to have freedom in your life tonight? Because when I don't have freedom and I, and I have come to know Jesus, I find myself making myself pray. I find myself making myself read. I make myself serve on Sundays, but when I've got freedom in my heart and I know and I have a revelation of who he is, I now want to pray. I can't wait 
to be in church. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to read my Bible. I used to serve God out of duty. Now I do it out of delight. Now I look for the opportunities. Go to the next one, Sister Jenny. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Number three, discover purpose. Know Jesus, find the freedom in my heart and discover my purpose. Because I believe this, God didn't send anybody to church to be a cheerleader. We don't need cheerleaders. We don't need people that just chant and hoop and holler. We need people that have purpose and walk in it. People that God has a plan for their life. He's established their steps and they're discovering their design. They're discovering the way God has created them and they're walking in their purpose. He said, because once you've got these eyes on your heart, once you can now see clearly who I am and how the revelation works, he said, now I need you to know the hope for which I've called you. You've got a calling. There's a calling on your life that has to be walked out. And that's why it says that. Go to the next one. We all have different gifts. We all, according to the grace given us, have different gifts. Church, that's the beauty of the church. You know what I love about it so much? You don't have the same things I have. And I don't have the same gifts you have. Some of us may possess like gifts. But the problem is, is that we all have gifts that God has created us to walk in. And that's what makes up the church is that we're walking in the gifts and the calling that he's given us. That's the hope. Go to the next one. That all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So whenever I lay back and I say, Pastor, you know what? That's not for me. It's not for me to serve. It's not for me to be a part of church. It's not. I just want to come to church and do my own thing. And that's who I am. Well, that's fine. But God created you for community. God created you to be more than just do that. Because in the body, it's made up of things. We don't need a head. We don't need a head. We got a head. His name's Jesus. We need arms and feet. We need legs. We need fingers. We need all these things to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But when we got an arm that's sitting on the pew that don't want to do what God's called them to do and walk in their purpose, we're hindering the church because the body cannot move. He said, I've called you for a purpose and you need to. So what do we do with with discovering purpose? So we have this thing we call next level. We do it once a month on Sundays for two hours. It kicks back in this month. And the whole thing about it is to teach you that you are a triune being, that God has created you a certain way, that you are created with purpose for God to serve you. So when you come in, we help you to discover your design and then develop your leadership. We want you to be a leader for God. Go to the next one. He said this, though. He closes it out. He says, I pray that you may grasp the immensity of the glorious way of the life he has for his followers in his holy people. What is he saying? That you may grasp this glorious way of life. So not only do you need to know what I'm calling you to do, you need to be impacting eternity. You need to be passionate about what I am passionate about. He's saying you need to understand that once you have a calling on your life, you need to be reaching people. You need to be finding the lost. You need to find those that are addicted. You need to find those that are afflicted. You need to find those who are widows. You need to find those who are fatherless child. You need to find the people in your city that need Jesus and walk in it and impact eternity. How do we do it? We call it the dream team. So people find out where their passion is. Long, early in the church, we used to, Sister Jennifer, I used to do things like this. When we had a need that needed to be met, maybe we had somebody to serve in the nursery. So whoever was sitting on the pew and wasn't doing nothing, we'd be like, hey, you want to serve in the nursery? <laughs> and then they'd be like, no. <laughs> but they would do it. And then they would do it because you asked them. But here's what happened. The next Sunday, they didn't come back. And the next Sunday, they didn't come back. And then you go to their house and you apologize and say, I won't make you serve in the nursery no more. Just come back to church because God designed you for something that's a purpose and he wants you to serve with passion. That's why you have to find what God has called you to in the church and do it passionately. So I'm not going to ask you to serve somewhere you ain't been called. I'm going to let you find what you have a passion for and let God grow you in that area. You passionate people, save people, serve people. Found people, find people. The problem with the church today is save people or serving save people. God didn't call us to do that. Found people or babysitting found people. God said it's a church, it's not a daycare. We're not babysitting people. We are growing in Jesus and becoming something greater than what we were. So all of that being said is that God is calling us to find people, church to have a passion for his people. 
something beyond. You know what I find so interesting? The woman at the well. The church today has a mindset of saying things like this. Hey, come and listen to our worship team. It'd be easy to say that here. We've got a great one. Hey, come listen to our worship team. Hey, 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 come over and see our next level program. Hey, come see our small group. Come see, come see, come see, come see. But here's the problem with that. The woman at the well, when Jesus revealed who she was and she took the first evangelistic message back to the village, she went to the people and said, come and see a man who told me all things in my life. We have to become people that go into the city and bring the revelation that's been revealed to us of who he is to a city that's lost and dying that they can come to know him. That's what he's calling us to do. It's not about come and see the church. You know what? When we build our new church, it may be wise to just keep the sign off the building and just be the church with no name. Because it don't need to be about us. It don't need to be about a building. It needs to be about him that they may know him better. Go to the next one. John 15 and 8, he says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples, I have told you this so that my joy, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, Pastor, what joy? How do you know that Jesus took joy in people? He said that my father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Number one, we should be doing something, showing yourself to be my disciple. People have become something that they weren't. He said, I told you that my joy may be in you. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why would he call that joy? Church, why would he say that I take joy in the cross that is in before me? He knew he was fixing to die. He knew he was fixing to get beat. He knew he was fixing to endure a whip. He knew he was going to be spit on. He knew he was going to be mocked. He knew he was going to be laughed at. He said, but I take joy in what I'm fixing to do because he's seen people. And in that whole situation, in that whole moment that he's seeing people, he's seeing that my joy is in completing the plan of my father. My joy is to complete the plan of salvation for man because through one man's disobedience, all men were made sinners. But through one man's righteousness, one man's obedience, all will be made righteous. That's what Jesus took joy in. That he had the opportunity to bridge the gap between man and God, that he could come and be the ultimate sacrifice, the one sin offering that would reconcile man to the Father, and that he would be the one that bridges the gap. He said, that's what I take joy in, because I see people who are broken. I see people who are wretched. I see people who are being left out. I see people who are lost, and I see me getting on that cross, being the bridge from one side to the other that reconciles them back to my Father as if they were created to be. He took joy in that. But we don't take joy because somebody says something about us. Well, I don't know if I want to go to church. I don't like the way they treated me. I don't like all these things. But Jesus said, you know what? You can beat me, kill me, do what you want, because I see people coming to know the Savior. I see people's life changing. Church, he was passionate about people. Go to the next one. It lines up with the kid values. If you have kids in the church and you, don't, you hadn't heard this already, the kids have core values. Love God, love people, grow disciples, change the world. Why? Because if I love God, then I do the thing that God loves the most, and that's how I love people. Then we change the world by growing disciples. But loving God is all about me getting in a place where I'm capable of loving people. It's a people thing, even with our kids so that now we can grow disciples, now that we can have other kids that come in and come to love Jesus, and we share that with them, and we help them to grow, that we can go out as kids and change the world. You know what's most impressive? There's kids that are sitting on that side right now. There's walls in between us, and them kids are sitting over there, and those very kids tell people about Jesus in their school. I get phone calls from parents that, that we know from the ball, the ball field and all kinds of places and say, you'll never guess one of the kids from your church was telling my kid about Jesus at church, at school. Church, it's serious. He wants the kids to know how to reach people. It's not a daycare on that side. We don't build our kids' ministry that they can go over there and have fun and play. We build our kids' ministry that they can learn about God and reach their friends. Do you know that we have more kids signed up for camp this year outside of the church than inside? 
because the kids have gone to school and said, hey, camp's free. Why don't you come? Parents are calling us. How do we sign our kids up? So-and-so's kids said camp was free. So-and-so's kids said we didn't have to pay. The kids are reaching their school because they understand that God loves people. Go to the next one. Luke chapter 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even, if you even known or had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There's something important about that scripture. Church, he wept over the city. He didn't wept over everything he was seeing. He didn't weep over the things that were built in the city. He wept over the people. He was compassionate about the people because if you've ever been to Jerusalem or seen um, the way it's built or the way it's laid out, he was standing on the mountain and he could see the whole city in front of him. But he also knew his appointed time. And the Bible says he began to weep over it. Why? Because he's looking at a people and he knows in his heart that they have missed their visitation of God. Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. He knew because Jesus knew that they had every opportunity that from Zechariah on, they had been prophesying that the Messiah would come riding a donkey. (laughs) My goodness, how many people came in riding a donkey with palm trees thrown before them? I don't think that happened very often. But here he is coming in and here they are shouting Hosanna, Hosanna and all these things. But because they didn't give them what they wanted, they wanted this this political deliverance. They wanted the Romans to get off their back. They wanted all these things to take place. But he said, I didn't come for that. I don't care about your political things. I've come that you would know the Messiah. When they didn't have that, they turned on him. So now the same ones who were chanting for him are crucifying him. But he wept because he knew. As he looked out over the city church, I don't know why in today's age, it don't break the heart of churches to look in that city and see how many people are lost. I don't know how we can sit in restaurants and sit at our table and scan our eyes across packed restaurants and it not touch our heart and break our heart knowing that there's people in that restaurant that are dying and don't know the the Messiah, don't know the Savior, don't know they don't have to live that way, don't know that there's something greater for them. Jesus looked out over the city and it broke him to pieces. He wept. He said, I came for peace. You know why he said that? Had only you known this day what would bring you peace. You got to go back to history. Here's the problem with it. Whenever a king wanted to, wanted to bring peace between another nation, they would ride a donkey. That, the donkey represented peace. But when they wanted to rage war, they would come on a horse. <laughs> find it kind of interesting that the first time he came into Jerusalem, he was coming to bring peace and he rode a donkey. But the Bible tells us that the second time he comes, he'll enter on a horse because he's coming for war. He's coming to destroy the works of the enemy. He's coming to get his church and it's a whole different ballgame. He said, if only you had known that the first time I'm coming, I'm coming to bring you peace and you're missing your appointed day. Go to the next one. The days will come upon you then Your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. Keep going. And he says the next scripture, he says this, they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I wonder tonight, what kind of feeling would that be? What kind of feeling would that be for God to say, you know what? You know how many appointed times I gave you? You know how many times I came to you? 
You know how many times I tried to show you? You know how many times I tried to reveal to you what you should, what you should do and where you should go and all these things? You know how many times I tried to use you? You know how many times I tried to call you? You know how many times I wanted to bring you to a higher level with me and you missed your calling? You missed your appointed time? See, it's easy in the church to get caught up on the calling of God is without repentance because we always want to look at the minister on stage. We always want to put them on a pedestal, which they shouldn't be anyway. But we want to put them on a pedestal and say, you know what? Their calling's without repentance. But you've got to remember the word that's right before that. It says the gifts. <laughs> the gifts and calling of God is without repentance. So my calling may be the second half, but the gifts is on you too. He said, that's without repentance. He said, there's no way you can get away from that. Once he has called you to it, once he has given it to you, he said, there's no excuse for it anymore. You'll miss your appointed one. Go to the next one. Sunday, I preached to you about the prodigal son. And I preached one half of it and left the other half out because I knew it was tonight's series. And I didn't feel God leading me that way. So I told you how there was this prodigal son. If you wasn't here, I'm going to catch you up real quick. I told you how there was this prodigal son who had the opportunity because his father had an inheritance that was actually his. And he asked his father, he said, give me what's mine. And he wanted it. Now, there was nothing wrong with him asking for the inheritance. That was perfectly fine. The problem, like I told you the other day, was this, that he treated his father like he was already dead. The problem with church today and the problem with people today is we treat God like he's dead in our life until we need something. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to go to the one who's alive and well and ask him for my portion of the inheritance. Then I'm going to go and waste it like he's dead and he don't exist. So the prodigal son takes his inheritance and he goes and the Bible says he squandered it. He lost it. He did everything he had. He wasted it. And now he's sitting in a famine and everything's washing away. And all the people who was with him at the beginning because he had all the money now don't want nothing to do with him. We have to tell a city and tell a nation that you don't need to be drawing the people that don't have anything for you. You need to get a hold of God that you can change the people around you. Because clinging to people, once you don't have anything for them, if it's a worldly relationship and it's nothing to do with God, once you don't have something for them, they're going to drop you and go to the one that has something they can have. So now the Bible says he's in a family and he's struggling and ain't nothing taking place and nobody will even give him anything. So he's, he's sitting here and he's hired himself out as a servant. And he begins to reflect and he tells himself, he says, man, here I am sitting here in a pig pen. I don't have anything in life. I don't have nothing for me, but my father over there has everything I need. What am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I sitting here trying to figure life out myself? Why am I sitting here trying to do things myself? And my father has everything for me. He's reflecting. And the Bible says, in other words, he come to his senses. That he realized that, man, I shouldn't have done what I did. And he repented. And he said, I'm going back to my father's house. And he turned around and he returned. He reflected, he repented and returned. And when he gets back, we see the father defy the odds of culture again. Because the father was a representation of him coming after somebody who's lost. But in that time, it was never normal for somebody to run after anybody. So he's, he's checking every day. I believe that he was broken by it because his son's gone. He's worried about him. If you lost your son or your daughter today and you didn't know where they were, you would be broken. You couldn't sleep at night because you don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know if they're alive. You don't know if they're on drugs. You don't know if they're sleeping in a house they're not supposed to be in. You don't know what's going on and there's no way you could be up at night just okay with it. And I believe the father was hurt by it. He was broken and he's checking and he's begging every day. I just want him to come home. I just want him to come back. And that day finally happens when he looks out and he sees him from afar off. And that tells us that, see, in culture, they would have just waited for him to get there because he was wrong and they weren't. But see, Jesus don't do that. See, there's a, there's a mindset in church that somebody else is wrong and just they're wrong anyway. They got to do everything to make it right. But I see in the father, he said, even though he's wrong, I'm going to him. I'm going to run him down. I'm going to chase him down. And when I get to him, I'm going to wrap him in my arms. And no matter what he says, I'm going to tell him that I love him and I want him and I need him. And I want it no matter what he's done. And so the Bible says that he ran out and he wrapped him up. And as soon as he did, he told his servants, he said, hey, <laughs> get everything together quick. Don't waste no time. Don't go put it on social media. See, we get people saved at church, and the first thing we want to do is put it on social media. 
So and so, we had 25 people get saved today. What does it matter? Can you take them to the next level? Or did you get them saved to go back into the world? It's not about the statistic on the screen. It's about having the opportunity to take them further and knowing Jesus and putting them on a journey that they can live a life that's worthy of living. So he says, don't waste no time. Don't do anything else. Go get him a robe, go get him a ring and go get him a sandals. Why? Because I'm looking at him and he's my son and I love him with everything inside of me. He's not a servant. He's not a slave. I don't care what he's done, but he's already come to me. He's already said he's sorry. He's already repented. And although everything on the outside is unrighteous and everything on the outside is dirty, he's he's full of mud, man. He's full of filth. He's wrestled in a pig pen. He said, I see on the inside he's righteous and I need to put a robe on him to cover it all up. But what happens in church is people come in here and we can't get past what's on the outside to see that God has righteousness to put on the inside. And he wraps him up and he says, get him a ring. He said, because I'm not stopping there, church. That's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. It's not just about we need to we need to get saved, but we need to keep going. He said, I need you to put a ring on him because in that time it's called a signet ring. And what would happen is, is it had their it had their identity on the ring. So what they would do is they take this ring and that's how the kings and all them signed documents. That's how they put orders in place. Once they had the paper, they would put the ring on it and it gave the identity. He said, I don't want him just to be righteousness. I want him to carry my identity. I want him to walk with authority. I want him to have power over this life. And then he told him to give him sandals. Why? Because only slaves walked with no shoes. And he said, but my son ain't no slave. Put something on his feet. But here's what's interesting. I didn't tell you the other part. Luke 15 and 25, he says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and he was and dancing. I, I tell you, I'm just, this is just, this is the Derek McBride commentary. All right. Don't, don't hold no water with it. I believe that what happened was is this older son heard this music and dancing and he's thinking, oh, they've stolen a party for me. It finally has come. My little knucklehead brother done took all the money. He done run off. My father ain't said nothing to me, but he sees I'm righteous. He sees I got it all together. He been waiting on this day of celebration. Man, I hear the party. They got everything we need on the inside. People's dancing. Everything's going good. And the next scripture says that when he walked up, he called one of the servants and he asked him, he said, hey man, what's going on inside? that place. I knew y'all had a party for me. I knew my day was coming. I knew it was fixing to be all about me. I knew he was fixing to elevate me to the next level. I knew I was going to be the pastor one day. I knew I was going to be a teacher one day. I knew I was going to serve one day. I knew they was going to celebrate me from the stage one day. And the servant said, your brother came home. What? What's that got to do with anything? He said, your brother came home. Your brother came home and he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him in the back and he's safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Keep going. And it goes on to say that, but he answered his father and said, look, listen to this. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me an even younger goat. You didn't even give me a fatted calf. You ain't threw me no party. I haven't been able to celebrate with my friends. I've been paying my tithes all my life. I showed up every Sunday and Wednesday. I've been at every serve team meeting. I've been at every leadership team meeting. I've been at every serve team meeting in the city where we outreach. I've been to every time you called me to do something. And you ain't never acknowledged me from the stage. You ain't never told me that I was great. You ain't never told me that you were thankful for everything. Thing I did. He said, you didn't even give me what you gave him. And he squandered everything. Keep going. He took everything you gave him. He squandered his property with prostitutes and he comes home and you're going to give him everything. That's how the church thinks today. You're going to bring some wretched sinner in here that's got tattoos, don't even know how to dress in church, got his hat on backwards, and you're going to celebrate and throw a party because he gave his life to Jesus. And I've been in this church all my life and you ain't doing nothing for me. Look what it says next. My son, the father said, he said, you've always with me. You'll always be with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Church, do you realize tonight you have 100% access to the father? Everything he has is for you. Everything you could imagine in your life that God has the ability and power to, to give you is yours. He said, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because the brothers of yours were dead and now he's alive. He was lost 
and now he's found. And I got mad at that older brother for a minute. I ain't lying. I got mad at that dude. Because while I'm reading that scripture, all I can see is it's people like you why nobody wants to come to church. It's people like you that ruin everything we're trying to do. It's people like you that can't let people see who Jesus is. And, and God, you know what God told me? He said, keep your mouth closed because you was once just like him. You thought the same way. It was all about you. It was all about what you wanted. It was all about what you wanted to see happen. He said you was the same way. Church, can I tell you something tonight? Church ain't about us. Not about us. He said, I will leave the 99 and go after the one. He said, I've got a church of 99 that got, they're where they need to be. They're pressing forward. They're doing the things they need to do, but it's not about them. I'll leave them where they are and I will go find the one whose life is torn up. I'll go find the one who is on the edge of killing theirself. I'll go find the one who's addicted to drugs. I'll go find the one that needs me, wants me, hungry for me, has a fire and a desire to see their life change. He said, I'm leaving the 99 and I'm going after the one. There is not, you cannot build a church in this world if the 99 are worried about the 99. You have to go after the one. Pastor, it costs too much money. It ain't yours to begin with. It takes too much of my time. It's not yours to begin with. It's all his. We, this vessel ain't ours. Everything we think sometimes of what God wants is not it. That's why Jesus said this. He said, you know what? He said, it wasn't about bulls and goats to begin with. He said, my father never wanted sacrifices anyway. He said, but it is written, thou hast prepared me a body and I've come to do the will of God. What was Jesus saying? It was never about what they thought it was about to begin with. It was always about him. Come on, worship team. It was always about what he wanted. Church, to build a church, it has to be built on the passions that Jesus had when he was here. And the number one thing he was concerned with were people. It wasn't about building a new building. It wasn't about any of those things. Everything he was concerned with was people. And if I'm sitting here in these seats tonight, and my agenda is not to find lost people and bring them to the kingdom. I'm not operating as a church. Because that's why Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say I'll build a church. Because if he had said I'll build a church, then that would have gave everybody a, a, a reason or an open door to build it however they wanted. He didn't say, I'll build the church because that would have become inclusivity. That would become, say, there's only one church and everybody's got to go to that church. He said, I'll build my church. You know why? Because he said, I take this thing personal. It's mine. It's not yours. I'm just allowing you to be a part of mine. It's not Pastor Derek's church. Zion Church don't belong to me. Zion Church don't belong to my wife. Matter of fact, Zion Church don't belong to you. Zion Church belongs to him. And he said, when you have that understanding that everything you have, every blessing you have, everything in your life belongs to me and it's all mine. He said, now I can build a church where the gates of hell cannot prevail. Now you can see things happen. Now you can see ministry go forward. Now you can see people saved. Now you can see them delivered because you have a revelation that it's not about you. It's not about the one on your row. It's about the one who has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he said, my people who are found will find those who are lost. My people who are saved will serve those who's never been served. And in church, sometimes we say, man, I want to be served. No, no, I don't want to be served because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served anyway. I came to serve. And if you got my spirit, then you're going to go to church and not worried about being served. You're going to go to church and say, who can I serve? Where can I serve, pastor? 
Where can I hold the door? Can I smile? Can I shake a hand? Can I hug a neck? What can I do today? How can I tell somebody I love them? How can I show them that God is real? How can I show them that God is alive? I don't want to sit in there and act like they don't matter. I want to let them know that God loves them and God has something for them and God's got purpose for their life. And I want to be a church that shows people that we love them. We love them. Because a life without love for people is not a life worth living. Because Jesus himself loved with everything he had. Go to the next one. And he says this in Revelation. Stand to your feet with me tonight. He said this in Revelation because I believe that if Jesus could have said some words to that son that day that had that attitude, he would have said this right here. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And that you cannot hear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they're apostles and they're not. And they have found them to be liars. Keep going. And you have persevered and have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. You know what he's saying? He said, listen, listen, listen. I seen you in your works. I seen you labor. I seen you do all the things you were supposed to do. I saw you call things that was fake, that wasn't true. I saw you preach truth. I saw you labor when they were against you. You never grown weary. You set up the events. You had the conferences. You had the meetings. You had the leadership teams. You had the Sunday school class. You had the teachings right. You had the gathering right. You had the parties right. You had the events right. You had the small groups right. You had all of it. He says, but I found one thing that you lost said you've left your first love. He said, and here's the problem with it. Remember, remember from where you have fallen. Prodigal son, as you sit in that pig pen, you better remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Reflect, repent, return. Or else I will come to you and quickly remove your lampstand his place unless you repent church he's saying I've seen it all but when you first got saved you didn't really care about anything knowing about you you just wanted to tell people about Jesus how many can think for a moment and reflect back when you first got saved tonight how on fire you were for God how many can say pastor I remember that when I first got saved I was probably obnoxious I was annoying because if I came in the, in the encounter with you and we bumped shoulders and we rubbed arms, I was going to tell you about Jesus. And I didn't care about where you were. I didn't care about who you were. All I wanted you to know was about Jesus. And he says that was your first love. Your first love was the first time it was revealed to you who he was and you could not hold it in. He said, go back to that. Go back to that. Get back to where you started. Get back to the fire. Get back to where, where you just couldn't hold my words in. Get back to where you wanted to see people come to know me. Can I ask you something tonight? I wasn't preaching hard at you, I promise. I'm just trying to show you he has passion. Are you, are you living right now in the passion that you once lived in? Is there a fire burning inside of you for people? Does everything in your life right now consume you on seeing somebody come to know him? When you walk through the stores, are you looking for people and asking God, show me somebody? Just like, you know, when an animal stalks, he's like, God, show me. Show me that person because I want to tell him about you. Show me the next person. He said, if that's not it, go back to it. Here's the scary thing. He said, if you choose not to go back to it, he said, I will come and remove that lampstand from you. Everything on the inside of you, everything I've given you, he said, I will come and I will remove it because you're not doing anything with it. Who am I talking to tonight? God, bring us back to that place where everything was about you. Bring us back to that place tonight where everything was about seeing people's life changed. Let us be and let us build with the passion that you had for church. 
Let me hit my knees because it's Wednesday night. Let me get on my knees Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and pray right now for Sunday that God would send somebody through them back doors that needed to know him and needed to see him and God that we would be ready, we would be prepared, we would be inspired, that your word's infallible, the spirit of God would be moving, we would know that when they came in that we was ready and we were prepared to bring them to a savior that can change their life. Oh, it's my prayers. Am I coming to church on Sunday? And I haven't hit my knees since Monday and asking God to do anything but expecting God to fix my situation. I got to come to church with a high expectation that God's going to do something. And I'm closing with this. You all hear us say this. God will never meet you at my level of preparation. I don't care how good the message is. God's going to meet you at your level of expectation. How did you come in this church and what did you want? open these altars and give us an opportunity tonight it's Wednesday night it's midweek look we got time to say God here I am God here I am search my heart God the very depths of it if there's anything inside of me that is causing me not to see you is causing me not to move is causing me not to have passion God reveal it bring it to the surface enlighten it tonight God bring me back to the fire I once had bring me back to that moment where I loved you more than anything bring me back to that place where I felt fellowship bring me back to that place where I desired more of you tonight Father we love you God we're thankful tonight Lord that you've given us an opportunity, God, to come here tonight, God, to hear a message, Lord, that you have a passion for this church, you have a passion for every person in this church, you have a plan, you have a purpose, and God, it is up to us to reach those who are lost. God, will you put a fire in us tonight? Will you put a fire in us tonight? Come on, church, worship with us. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenni's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenni.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at $6.95.